You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Bad Rabbit looks like misdirection. Fancy Bear's wish list is out, and it's very long and very global. U.S. prosecutors may be preparing to indict half a dozen Russian officials in the DNC hack. Malaysia continues to recover from a major series of data breaches. Ghostwriter poses a man-in-the-middle threat to AWS users who misconfigure their accounts. And it was Halloween, but the shadow brokers weren't much in evidence. Perhaps they were unrecognizable in their Wonder Woman and Mighty Thor costumes. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, November 3rd, 2017. Bad Rabbit's odd behavior, sophisticated, noisy, and brief, may have an explanation. It appears the campaign may have been misdirection, or at least that's the way it looks from Kiev. Ukrainian police have told Reuters that the same threat actor behind the ransomware campaign operated a quiet phishing campaign during Bad Rabbit's activity. The goal, investigators think, was to obtain undetected remote access to financial and other confidential data. Ukraine believes the actors behind Bad Rabbit to be the same Russian security services responsible for NotPetya. Researchers at cybersecurity firm Webroot rate NotPetya as a nastier piece of work than its rough contemporary WannaCry, which by comparison was a crude and primitive effort. The enduring concern about NotPetya accounts for more than a little of the concern with which Bad Rabbit was immediately greeted. The AP publishes what it characterizes as a hit list, and by that we mean a long list of hacking targets, not of people marked for assassination, so maybe wish list might be better. It comprises Fancy Bear's persons of interest. It is a long list, casting a wide, indeed global net, and goes far beyond Fancy's notorious interest in the Clinton campaign. Many of the people on the list are the sort who would be prospected in classical espionage operations. Aerospace and defense sector workers are on the list, as are political figures from both major U.S. parties, Democrats in the majority, but Republicans also represented. The papal nuncio to Kiev and the Ukrainian army officer who wrote that Android gunnery app, Popper D30, whose compromise CrowdStrike reported last December. Fancy Bear, as longtime listeners will know, is widely believed to be a unit of Russia's GRU, the country's military intelligence establishment. Fancy Bear has also been active recently in fishing Bellingcat, a journalistic organization that pays considerable attention to Russian affairs. In this case, they've been using Blogspot to mask their credential harvesting efforts. U.S. prosecutors have identified at least six Russian government officials allegedly involved in the Democratic National Committee hack during the last election cycle. Indictments are expected early next year. This investigation is distinct from the inquiry being carried out by special counsel Robert Mueller. 
Security researchers at Sky High Networks are warning of Ghostwriter, a vulnerability in which misconfigured Amazon Web Services S3 buckets are not only exposed to public view, but can also be exploited in man-in-the-middle attacks. About 4% of the buckets accessed from within enterprise networks are thought to be susceptible to Ghostwriter, Sky High says. The more familiar problem of data loss from AWS S3 misconfiguration also persists. Nearly 50,000 Australians recently had their information exposed. Personal records from employees working in government agencies, banks, and a utility were compromised in a third-party contractor's misconfigured cloud account. Earlier in October, Dow Jones also sustained a breach caused by an unsecured AWS S3 bucket. More than 2 million customers are believed to have been affected. A very large data breach has hit Malaysia, as more personal data of more than 46 million mobile subscribers have been found for sale on the dark web. The breach affected at least a dozen telecom providers. Since the total number of people affected exceeds the population of Malaysia, the incident is believed to have also affected foreigners living in or transiting through the region. Other data may have been lost as well, from employment site Job Street, perhaps 17 million, and a number of Malaysian government agencies, including the Malaysian Medical Council, the Malaysian Medical Association, Academy of Medicine Malaysia, the Malaysian Housing Loan Applications, the Malaysian Dental Association, and the National Specialist Register of Malaysia. Several million individuals were affected by these breaches as well. Investigation is in progress. There are reports of stolen data being used for phishing and spamming. And finally, Tuesday was, of course, Halloween, which the shadow brokers have told is being brokers' favorite holidays when they trick for treats wealthy elites. But where are brokers being these days, we are asking. They are last heard from two weeks ago when they announced a big, big sale like the boss is on vacation and we are all go crazy. They'd be picking on good researcher Matt Swish and praising good reporter Marcy Wheeler. But no new exploits, not so much Twitter, but brokers say Kaspersky should sue Wall Street Journal for libel. And did brokers mention new low, low prices? No, come on, guys. Everybody knows you're not in it for the money. But these days, their offerings look like a remainder table at a shopping mall bookstore. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. (laughs) 
The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by David DeFore. He's the Senior Director of Engineering and Cybersecurity at WebRoot. David, welcome back. You've been seeing some evolution in the way ransomware is working. That is correct, actually. We're seeing it become more sophisticated in the way that it's distributed, the way that it's used in the industry, um, and by industry, I mean the bad guys, and how they're propagating it. And, and I think I, we've spoken before about how uh, we're seeing a growth in worms again, and those worms now are able to deploy and use ransomware as well. But one of the, a couple of key things about the ransomware uh, that we're seeing here at WebRoot is the uh, prevalence of dynamic key shifting, where the first iterations of ransomware, you could typically, once the key was out there, you could use that key across multiple instances of that ransomware to unlock it. But the bad guys have um, gotten pretty smart and, and they're able to dynamically generate keys based on um, system information. So that if you want to be able to unlock uh, a specific encrypted instance, you have to be able to actually go out pay that Bitcoin um, typically to be able to get the, the unique key generated for your system. And additionally, um, we're seeing some growth in the quality assurance of ransomware in terms of the purveyors of ransomware solutions, if we may call them that, um, are, are, are wanting to ensure they have high quality ransomware with really actually high quality customer support. Um, because what's happening is the low quality solutions sometimes may not decrypt properly so people don't get their data back. And once that becomes known on the internet that if you um, are infected by a certain strain and that strain does not decrypt, people do not pay the ransom. So to, uh, to maximize their ROI investment on the ransomware they've generated, they're spending a lot of time doing QA and providing really good quality customer support to ensure that they have a good reputation for the ransomware they're, that, you know, they want their ransomware to have a quality name so people will pay that ransom. Yeah, there's a little, uh, I guess, uh, bitter irony there, huh? Yes, exactly. So that's really what we're seeing um, right now. It, it is becoming more sophisticated um, in terms of the way it executes. Uh, previously, it, it would, you would see single or, or not highly threaded instances. Now, uh, ransomware instances are becoming very threaded in the way they are encrypting files and the speed at which they can encrypt the device and things of that nature. So there's a lot of sophistication going on in, in the growth and the spread and the quality of the ransomware itself. And, and I think it was in 2010, we saw the the, you know, the first real instance of ransomware. And right now, uh, I, I think in 2016, 2017, we're approaching uh, 500 different strains of unique ransomware out there. So back up your files, right? Yes, definitely back up your files. And another little scary tidbit, um, last year we saw about a, a billion dollars in cost, uh, people paying an expense for dealing with ransomware. This year we see it trending towards about $5 billion, and that's only going to grow. Yeah. All right. David DeFore, as always, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? 
With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guests today are Sherry Calcagironi and Andrew Lumen. Sherry is the executive director of the Global Emancipation Network, a nonprofit that uses technology to try to put an end to global human trafficking. Andrew is vice president at Dark Owl, one of their technology partners. Human trafficking is an, an enormous problem. Estimates are between 20 and 45 million people are being trafficked around the world today. And yes, that is a 100% margin of error. Um, so basically what we can take from that is that the data that we have is completely unreliable. We don't have a repeatable method of uh, coming up with these numbers again. Uh, so, so one of the things that we're trying to do at Global Emancipation Network is to bring together all of the disparate data sources that exist in trafficking. So sometimes that uh, takes the form of like a sex ad on Backpage or sometimes it's, you know, a visa blacklist that where we lo are looking at labor trafficking. Uh, so there's many different stakeholders who own the data. Sometimes it's government actors like law enforcement agencies or groups in the United States like uh, Department of Homeland Security. And other times it's uh, other nonprofits like ourselves who are actually interacting with victims. Uh, so it really runs the gamut then who has the data. But the biggest problem that we're trying to counter then is to break down all of these silos and to allow the data to exist in one single location where we can run data analytics across it and begin to look at trafficking as the data problem that it really is. Um, because when we do that, when we're working collectively on the problem as a data problem, then we can sort through it using these cybersecurity and uh, data analytics methods to find traffickers, find victims, and really study those, uh, those trends on recruitment and whatnot that allows us to scale our efforts. I see. And, and so, Andrew, uh, what part in all of this are you all at Dark Owl playing? So Dark Owl is a startup that has been crawling all of the dark nets out there and collecting and collating the data. And this helps investigations and research and analytics into what are the, the attributes of the traffickers, the, the nicknames, the techniques they use, and provides a large database for them to work off of to help with Sherry's comment there about needing more content in one place to do successful analytics on. Give us an idea. Why don't I start with you, Andrew? Give us an idea of um, what is it like on the dark web? I mean, these people are, they're trying to not be found, and yet, in a way, they have to be able to find each other. Right. So there's the fundamental conflict they have to resolve in that they're trying to keep themselves private from law enforcement, but also public enough that people can find them to buy their services. So they've, you know, there's a lot of lingo used. Um, they hang out in forums you wouldn't normally see on typical websites you visit. They talk in code both about how to actually get, quote, the product, um, the people from one country to another, to the destination, to the buyer. 
And at the same time, they have to advertise, you know, I have the following people available for services, whatever those services might be. So, Sherry, um, in terms of having to sort of wrap your your hands around this, um, this shift to the dark web, this shift to online, um, is this a a recent development? And and how does this affect um, your efforts, your ability to to try to stop these sorts of things? Well, one of the things that we have really working in our favor is that the majority of trafficking uh, online actually exists on the open web. It's anything that you or I could type into our our web browser. Hmm. And that makes it a lot easier for us to collect that information. But what uh, Andrew and I have been trying to do then uh, in our collaboration in terms of the dark web then is to look at polycriminality elements. And what that really means is that these uh, transnational organized criminal elements They are just looking at ways of making money. They don't really care if they're moving drugs or weapons or, sadly, people. It's all sort of the same to them. Um, And so by tracking some of those other elements, we can also learn a lot about human trafficking. And so, uh, Andrew, from your point of view, from a technical point of view, how does this sort of data uh, compare or, or differ from other types of data that you all are normally looking for? It's unfortunately similar in that whether you're talking about a drug dealer trying to sell drugs to people around the world or whether they're trying to sell trafficked children or laborers, um, it's all sort of the same mentality from their part increasingly. There used to be specialization where certain criminal organizations or gangs would specialize in one thing like drugs or firearms or identities and humans now they're sort of all blurring because as sherry said it comes across as it's just a product we don't care we don't ask what's in the box anymore um so to speak we can get it from point a to point b you know technically a lot of what we're seeing is they're moving to peer-to-peer chat like direct chat or heavily encrypted chat um and there's none of those apps out there for legitimate reasons but of course criminals will take it and use it to coordinate with you know people in country their customers and uh potential buyers so sherry you know after 9 11 there was the popularization of the saying if you see something say something for those people who are in the cybersecurity world um is there a way that they can help out what you're doing is are there things that they should keep an eye out for where if they see things uh, are you interested in getting uh, reports from people or or um what kind of help are you looking for Absolutely. Actually, that's one of the things that makes me the most passionate leading Global Emancipation Network is really watching the light bulb turn on uh, for these people who usually work in these tech heavy fields like cyber intelligence or cybersecurity um, and that they realize that it doesn't matter if they're hunting hackers during their day job. You can take those exact same skill set and their training and apply it to hunting traffickers, right? It's just another adversary. And so actually a lot of our volunteers on our staff come from that, uh, that background in particular. So uh, it translates really well. One of the things that we say, and you're right, it's uh, if you see something, say something, but you need to know what you are looking for, right? Traffickers tend to use a coded lexicon that means certain things uh, to people who know what it means. For example, most of the trafficking things that we see, uh, they fall under two categories. One are age-related, and that's uh, you know advertising an underage victim, which automatically qualifies for uh, trafficking. Um, and then others are around movement, and those are things that 
um, indicate that someone has just arrived in town or they're about to go to another location, things like that. So if, if there is anyone out there who usually works in these cybersecurity spaces and wants to get more heavily involved in tracking a new kind of adversary, we absolutely would welcome them and uh, please get in contact with us. And if you want to find out more about the Global Emancipation Network, their website is globalemancipation.ngo. Our thanks to Sherry Calcagironi and Andrew Lumen from Dark Owl for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K Cyberwire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.